I want this morning, I feel like so much has been said, and I feel like we've got a lot to think about and reminded of, of part of our job as Christians to stand for life and what that is. And that, that alone, should, it, it's a challenge. It's, it, and, and, it's, and we're inspired to do that because we know that there are ministries and missions like, like Harmony Health. And that we can do that not just through and tackling the issue of abortion, but, but many other issues that, that uh, plague us and where the sanctity of human life is, well, destroyed, attacked. And so God help us to do that. This morning, my text is in the book uh, of Acts. It's in, it's in Luke's account of, of church history in the first century, the first church. And it's in Acts chapter 17. And we're going to read a few verses there. But my focus is on, it is in the beginning and it will be on the end. You'll see it's on verse 28 in Acts chapter 17. And I would like to read this passage. And it's an amazing passage. And if, and, well, all of Scripture is, amen. But in Acts chapter 17, here we have the apostle and he is, arguing, discussing, he's, re- he's actually reasoning with, with philosophers and wise guys, if you will, who are always finding something to talk about, okay? And they're there in Athens, and, and Paul is there, and in, in verse 22, Paul starts like this. He said, the, Luke writes this, And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God, an unknown God. Can you imagine that worshiping an unknown God? I mean, I can't, you know, on this side of the cross and my salvation, I can't imagine worshiping an unknown God. It doesn't make sense almost, right? What therefore, he said, you worship in ignorance This I proclaim to you. You know what the Apostle Paul is doing? He's saying, listen, the God who you think you're worshiping, let me tell you who he is. And there's only one. And he can be known. Let me tell you about him. There's much more to be said about that, but that's not the point this morning. Verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. Not the unknown God, Jesus, who was there at creation, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. He is there and he gives all these things to all things. And in verse 25, and he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. I love that. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own prophets have said, for we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, 
by furnishing proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And he's talking about Jesus. Amen. And then it says in verse 32 that some got really offended by that, but that there were some that believed and they began to follow. They believed and they followed Jesus because of Paul's reasoning with all these wise guys, if you will, the philosophers, right? Sanctity of human life is an interesting thing because, well, it's a beautiful thing. But, but when we talk about sanctity of human life, what we're talking about is, and we're, we're, there are many definitions and descriptions to this, but let, let me just give you a simple synopsis, right? A, a simple sentence. It's basically the understanding and the belief and the perspective and perception that we have, especially through the lens of Scripture and from God Himself, that all human life has inherent dignity, worth, and sacredness, right? That is set apart from all other beings on this world. I have said this before, and I will say it again, and some... I'm not picking anybody, but some have bones to pick with me and in a scientific sense. But listen, when we talk about science and biology and that we're mammals and, and we're animals, listen, we're not animals. We're not. I, I know sometimes we behave like them. We've had these conversations with some of you, but we are not animals. We are distinct from, we are, and I'm sorry, but we, I'm not sorry. It's the truth. We are above. We're in the created order of animals. God has designed us, created us, that we might have a special, unique, distinct relationship with Him that no animal on this planet can have. None. It doesn't exist. A chimpanzee cannot have the same uh, relationship with God that I have where our intellect, our creativity, and our worship is expressed in such a manner that there is a knowledge and a spiritual sense that I am worshiping the one through God, through Jesus Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit. Can't happen. It doesn't happen. It does not happen. We are not animals. But, again, the sanctity of human life is critical, and God values that from the beginning, and we'll go through, even though I read what Paul said here in verse 28, that in Him we live and move and have our being. There's a history to this. And it's a biblical one. And I could talk to you for hours and days and weeks and months, really. Some of you know I probably could. But, but, but I could about this history, but I will make it as concise and as simple as possible for, for, for a couple of reasons and for purposes, actually. One, to remind you of the sanctity of human life and that it comes from God and starts with God. And secondly, to inspire us to keep fighting for and standing up for life and the sanctity of human life whether they're in the womb or whether they are at death's door, their life is still incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. Look, when you look in the Bible, this is, this is, this is that short version, we know that the Bible starts off and right from the beginning we see, and, there, and I'll break this up into three, 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 three phases, if you will, there's the creation phase where we see the sanctity of human life is established in creation, right? In fact, the Bible is an incredible work that God has given us, and it's His Word, and it's truth, and it's, it's the manifestation of how things really are, not just were, but how they are. But let me tell you how it was. In the first few words of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, in the beginning... And then there's a fourth word. Do you know what that fourth word is? God. In the beginning, God. 
That is not by accident. That is not just happenstance. That isn't something that Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, created in his mind and put into the Word, into the first book of the law. But those first four words, in the beginning God, implies and states and declares that God was always there and He always will be there. Before there was even time, before there was even the beginning, if you will, God was there. But in the beginning, God was already there. God was there. In the beginning, God. He was alive. He wasn't just an atom floating around lifeless. He was alive. He was a living being that was in the uncreated universe, in the void, in the nothingness that existed, if you will, the Bible tells us. So God was there. And at creation, the whole idea of creation is simply this, is that God had a plan to share life. That's what creation is all about. Creation is all about God desiring so much because He was life itself, the source, and He was a life, and He was the one that could give it. He wanted to share and to have someone, something to share that life with, another living being, just like Himself. Creation is an account of the sanctity of human life in this regard, that God had a plan to share life with someone. And there came a point in time, in in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that God becomes that giver of life, right? and, And even before that, He's creating all the plants and the animals, and those are great. And He's taking joy in that. But something was missing. And in verse 26 through 28, there's a conversation that God has with Himself, if you will. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're there. The Godhead is, is talking. And there's this recorded statement where it says, Let us make man in our image. Not so the plants and the animals. But man was made in the image of God. Set apart, distinct from all other created beings and creatures in the universe. And God desired so much that He takes the dust, right? You know the story. He takes this dirt made from dust and He takes it and He forms, I don't know, I don't know exactly what He did. I can imagine and I think it, it might not do an injustice. I don't know. It's probably even better. But He takes that dust and what does He do that He did not do to the animals? He breathes into them His Spirit and they are alive. They are living spiritual and physical beings. God breathes into them. God wanted to share His life so much that He had this planet creation. I will create. I want someone else to share life with. Life is awesome! I'm glad that 20% of you are so thrilled to be alive and you are enjoying the life that God has given you. Some of you are... Never mind. I, um, shut up, Bob. All right. God is the giver of life. In Genesis 1, 26 to 20, and God breathes, and there, is, there are humans created in His image. You know, in Acts chapter 17, in, the, in, the, in our text here that I read, that portion of Scripture, in verse 24, look at what Paul says, just to connect something here when he's reasoning with these, these philosophers. He said, The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, neither is He served by human hands 
As though he needs anything. See, it's he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. He is there. He made everything. And Paul makes this declaration, even to these philosophers. The God you don't know is the God who created everything because he had a plan to share life because he is the giver of life, not just the source of life. That's awesome. That's a beautiful thing. And so we start with creation and God's plan to share life. And life goes on. And there's propagation. And there's Adam and Eve. And there are others. And then something happens. There's this second phase where where, where we can address the sanctity of human life and how the sanctity of human life takes a hit. In fact, I'll call it this, that that at the fall, right, in in theology and in in, in Orthodox Christianity, we, we, we call the fall, that's the original sin, where Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and... They're separated from Him. There's brokenness, there's sin, there's separation from their Creator. The one who is life and gives life. And now life is affected. Life is directly affected in a negative way. You've kind of, you've lost that, there's a connection loss to the source of life, right? There, There is that loss of that connection. And in the fall, what we see in creation is God's plan to share life. But in the fall, we see humanity's pattern of shattering life. There's a pattern of shattering life because of the fall and at the fall. You know, it didn't take very long, but Adam and Eve, they had children. And we know what happens. That life is shattered because there are two brothers, Cain and Abel. Right? And they, one gets upset at the other, right? Cain gets upset because Abel brought an offering that was acceptable to God. And Cain is so ripping mad because of sin, whatever, jealousy, all kinds of, his heart is absolutely, it's broken, but it's corrupt, it's wrong, it's not godly, it's not, it's not consistent with what God wants. He's disobedient, that's actually a huge portion of this too, to God himself. But he sees his brother, whose sacrifice is accepted, and what does he do? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to almost say that. Kills his brother. Right off the bat. I mean, and, and, and the, the, the value, the worth of viewing, and something wells up so strongly inside that you do not view the fellow human being with that same sanctity that God does, that there is a holiness, there's a distinction that is set apart from God, and you take matters into your own hands, and you devalue so much that you just get rid of that life. That's humanity's pattern ever since the fall that we are shattering. We are shattering the sanctity of human life all the time and we do it in different ways. Some of us do... I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll come back to it. Some of us, and I'm including myself, some of us do it in such harsh, hard ways. It's like sledgehammers that we carry around and we're just destroying people around us with our words, our attitudes, and our demeanors and everything else. And others, we do it so subtly and we do it through false flattery and other ways and yet we're picking at people and we're crushing them and bringing them down. And we're, sh- we're, we're, we're looking at them differently and we're not looking at them through the lens of the giver of life and valuing and, and, and seeing how worthy, and, if you will, before God and worthwhile to God others' lives are. And sin gets in the way, that brokenness, and it, it clouds our lens and I can't, I can't, no, I, I can't look at, at my brother or sister or my neighbor and, I, and for some reason attitudes arise or sinful perspectives and I 
don't value them the way God does. And I do things that demonstrates that. And that's hurtful. It's shattering. It breaks. It destroys. And you know, the truth is that historically, even with the fall, even before there was the law in the Old Testament, and I'm moving a little forward now, but before there was even a law, do you know that it was prohibited and it was a heinous crime? One of the most heinous crimes was to commit murder. And you find that in Genesis chapter 4 and in chapter 9. It was prohibited and God said, no way. Life is something I give. You cannot take that away. You don't take that matter into your own hands. And we saw that with Cain and Abel, as I mentioned. In fact, in chapter 6 of Genesis, most of us are familiar with the account of the flood and Noah's ark and how he saved eight individuals. God threw his plan with the ark, right? And why did that flood come in the first place? Why? Because the Bible records that, that God in his heart, it says that he actually almost, re, he almost regretted that he created humanity. I mean, that's, that's a strong way to put it. But he was so offended. It was such an affront to him of how people did not value other human lives. And it says there before the flood that there was so much violence and evil. Why? Because the pattern was already in full motion and there was shattering of that whole concept of the sanctity of human life going on 24-7 all around the towns and villages and whatever. That's what was going on. And God said, we got to start over, man. I, quite frankly, that's, that's what he said. I, I can't do this. this we got to start over. And then he does start over. There's the flood and he comes back. And God, God continues this idea that he is the giver, but he's not just the giver. He's the protector of life. Where humans are now shattering life. God is saying and reinstituting and reminding them with the law that I am the protector of life. You know, there are all kinds of laws in the Old Testament, in Exodus, and Leviticus, and throughout, and it goes on, where God, in fact, the sixth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, thou shall not kill, murder. Thou shall not kill. Why? Because God is the protector of life. And he's reminding his people and through his people, through Moses and the law. that there, and, and after that, there are many other laws protecting the unborn, protecting those who get injured or hurt, and, and how people are treating each other. There, I could go through a, dozens upon dozens of laws because the pattern was so strong and God was instituting this law and saying, I'm the giver of life, and I have a plan for life. I want to share it with you, but you're shattering it. You keep shattering it. Here's the law. It's beautiful. Value the lives around you. They are worth a lot in my eyes, and I will protect them through the law. So much so that there is consequence. When you treat other lives cheaply and view them as being invalid, having no value, so the laws are there. And there are many of them, dozens, again, of laws that you will find about what happens when people are, are not valuing life the way God does. In fact, we even go into the prophets. We're moving through the Old Testament. You go through the prophets. There are many warnings. And there are many, many uh, uh, words that God gives through the prophets. And there are many in Isaiah. I'm thinking of Isaiah specifically. But in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and many other places where God's people are rebuked and warned that there will be consequences because they're in the habit of shattering life. What does that mean? To be in the habit of shattering life. It simply means this. And it does not need any word before it. I've said that before. You've heard it through other pastors and you've read about it and whatever. 
Justice was lacking. People were treating each other unjustly. Not the right way. That doesn't mean that you don't say it. How It doesn't mean that there wasn't a price for the wrongs that you have to pay. That, that's not it. But that there was, they were viewing each other in such a way. They were doing things to each other. They were stealing from each other. They were lying from each other. They weren't doing business the right way. They were on and on. The way they were treating foreigners, the way they were treating aliens that came into their land, the way they were treating the elderly. And God was saying, absolutely not. You are shattering life. I know it's hard for some of you to hear that because you almost don't want to hear that. Because, because, but it's true. And, it's, and God will not have that. It goes against the very nature of God who has a plan to share His life and we get in the way and we try to shatter that. You know, the idea that God said in Exodus chapter 20 that thou shall not murder or kill, is, it's not just a prohibition. But you know what it is? It's an injunction to respect the sanctity of human life. It's not just a prohibition. It is saying you must respect the sanctity of human life and other lives and treat them the way I would treat them. You know, we have a history here in the United States. Well, whatever you want to think about it, whatever your opinions are, that's, that's for another place in discussion. I don't mean to bring this into it, but you know, I find it fascinating. Because the concept that all human life bears God's image is one of the most essential foundations of Western civilizations. And that human life, is there's a sanctity to it. Christianity had a huge part in introducing a biblical concept to the Roman Empire at a time when some men were considered to be gods, the Caesars and others. And others in that empire were regarded as little better than animals. It's true. You can't hide from that history. And there's this this notion of the divine image in man gives us basically two pillars, two moral pillars in our society, which are stated in the opening lines of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, let's not talk about that revolt. Oh, Listen, put that aside for a moment. Listen to these words. Because in those opening lines of the Declaration of Independence, we have two amazing pillars. And the first one is this, that there is equality of human life. I want to be very clear without getting in trouble and not addressing this issue, but I want to be clear. I did not say equity. I said the equality of human life. You can do your research and we can talk about that another time if you want. Every person is equal before God and therefore should be respected as equal by the law and by all other institutions of human society. You know what it says? All men are created equal. That's what it says in the Declaration of Independence. And it's true. It's a biblical truth. And secondly, the second pillar is the sanctity of human life. All innocent human life is sacred. And therefore, every person has a fundamental individual right to life which cannot be infringed without due process of law. Can I quote the Declaration of Independence now? And that they are endowed by their Creator. We already talked about the Creator who wants to share His life and gives us His life. With certain unalienable rights. That among these are, number one, That among these are number one. That among these are number one. Why? 
Because God's plan is to share his life with all of created human beings. And there has been a shattering that has been going on. And there's a recognition, even by the writers of the Declaration of Independence, that they are, again, have, they have this right, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The other ones we can debate and talk about because, hmm. But life is where it's all starting. I, again, it is absolutely important and critical to understand that the fall and how we are now, there's a pattern of shattering. You know, when we talk about, we talk about shattering lives, I know Rachel and Rebecca are here, we're talking about Harmony Healthcare and, and working in, in preventing and, and, and removing and getting rid of abortions in our land. But David Platt, you know, in his book called Counterculture, I like one thing he said there. And he said in his chapter on abortion, he said that abortion is not only an affront to God's authority as creator, but it is also an assault on his work in creation. Why? Because in the womb, he's not done yet. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. Do you know that that same truth applies to people around you? That God still isn't done with that human around you? How do you know? How do you stand there and have the right and the authority to condemn someone to hell or anywhere else or whatever it is when you don't know what God is doing? And you know what the analogy is? Just like you, you're a piece of iron and you're worth a few cents. But God only knows you take that iron, whether you'll be a horseshoe or you'll, you'll be that valuable little tiny spring in a $200,000 fancy Swiss watch. God determines that. And that little piece of iron, that metal, that hasn't been melted down yet, is so valuable to God. And yet, we run around and we say, this person's worth that. That person's worth nothing. Forget it. We do the same thing, whether it's not in the womb or it's outside. Sorry for my passion, but it's the truth. And we've all been guilty of that in some way, shape, or form. God forgive us. God have mercy. It's not just in the womb. But when we do that, we are actually assaulting His work and creation with our attitudes, our language, and then we lock arms with the ultimate shatterer of life or who attempts to shatter life, Satan himself, our enemy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 26, I'll just paraphrase it. It's an attack on a sanctity. The attack on the sanctity of human life starts in the heart. He said that if you even, if it, he made a comparison that if you even have bad thoughts about your brother or sister or your neighbor, it's murderous. Oh man, that's, that's, that's hard. That's, that's hard to hear and it's heavy and it's the truth. But that's, that is murderous and you are shattering that life, that sanctity of human life that God has established and given. You know, in the New Testament, it conjoins, if you will, that injunction to love our neighbor, right? With the concept of life. And so what that means is that to love is the law of life. Hatred is the law of death. Let's stop the pattern of shattering the sanctity of human life. It's not just in the womb. But here's the beautiful thing. And thirdly and lastly, before we close, fast forward, here's history. And it's all about Jesus. The history of the sanctity of human life. It's not just creation. It's not just the fall and then everything is this pattern among humanity. And it's still around us. But in the midst of all that, God introduces the redemption of humanity. 
for humanity through a son, Jesus Christ. You know what this was now? This whole picture of redemption. It's God's plan to save life. You have God's plan at creation to share his life, and he does. And he loves to do that. Then you have at the fall and all throughout history and even now, you have humanity working and they have this, they're, they're shattering life all around. And then God comes in and he has this plan to save life. To restore the sanctity of human life, if you will. Jesus came, the Bible records, and he said himself that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to those, and he even said that it's not the sick who need a doctor, but it's the sick, right? The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do, right? They don't, he came for those. And so he comes, and he comes, and he sees the brokenness, and he sees all of us, and he sees humanity who is shattering and has a shattered view of what the sanctity of human life is. And he comes himself, and he reaches out, and he shows what it means to restore that dignity, respect, and worth to life, to humans, to people. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is the life. In fact, John records in the first chapter that He was the life of men and the light of men. He was life in the first few verses of John's Gospel, chapter 1. And so Jesus restores us when we come to Him and He died for our sins and He draws us and we come to know and we bow our knee to Him and we call out to Him and we praise Him and we ask Him to fix our shattered view of the sanctity of human life and of ourselves and that we think we can do it all ourselves and we submit to Him. And you know what He does? When we confess our brokenness, our sin, He makes us new creations. And Paul said that if any man is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so now the lens that we had and we saw all the breaks and the shatters and we're viewing everybody that way, all of a sudden we have a new lens that is clear, that is life-filled, that is not demeaning and degrading and putting down and destroying and shattering everyone around us, but instead has a life and light of Christ in our hearts. We have new desires. We have new eyes. We have a new purpose, right? And the sanctity of human life even now is ongoing due to the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Acts 17.28, our text again. It says here, and I'll start in verse 28, it says, For in Him we live and move and exist, or have our being. As even some of your own prophets have said, for we also are His offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. He's beyond you. He's greater than you. You are not Him. You are not a little God when He comes into your life. And the life He gives you is His life, but you're not divine. But you can partake of that life. In fact, I know that to be true because Jesus Himself said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, He said these words. He says that the thief comes to still and destroy. The thief comes to shatter and to bring down and get rid of life. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I didn't come to shatter it. I came to give it. And, that they might have, and how did he, you know, the amazing thing is, this is the beauty of what Jesus did. 
He gave us life by dying for us. But he rose again. Why? Because he's the source and the giver of life. And he's alive, and because he arose, and now he calls us to do the same thing, that we should share life, and it comes full circle to creation, and what will happen in the end times, and everything is restored to him, but that we join him in sharing the life that he gave us in the first place through his son, Jesus Christ. Him, we live, move, and have our being. He is our source, we depend on him, and he gives us our power and purpose, or if I should say it, he gives, you, he gives us our worth. What an amazing truth this is. Our existence depends entirely on God. Not you. Not someone else. It's on God. What an amazing plan. And if, I don't know if I did it justice, but boy, in just the 25 minutes that we had to go through from creation to the fall and how humans are, how we can be, to the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. My question is, as we close, will we leave this morning, will I, will you, will we continue the pattern of shattering the sanctity of human life in its various forms? Or will we share and promote the sanctity of human life by being Christ-like, living the way He wants us to, and then offering Him to others, because He offers Himself to others. Let's break the pattern. Could we? Could we do that? Maybe you need to do that today. I encourage you to pause and just give it to God. Surrender to Him and say, Lord, help me to not be someone who shatters that whole sanctity of human life and the fact that we're created in your image would help me to be one who promotes that and shares it just like you shared it with us. Amen?